When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So there's a couple things I want to talk about today, and I want to start off with the fiscal picture here in the United States. Now, fiscally, when I use that term, primarily what I'm talking about is spending by the U.S. government and and debt that the U.S. government has. Now, just as an update, um, the U.S. US debt clock currently shows uh, the U.S. government being in slightly over $27 trillion dollars worth of debt. Now, that is a pretty significant change relative to earlier this year. And as a reminder, pre-COVID-19 recession, the U.S. was on pace to put itself in, in a, you know, maybe one, one and a half trillion dollars of debt each year. It was on the rise, which, you know, was, was concerning because we were, you know, in supposedly good economic situation you know, back in February or back in January. And yet deficits were still rising uh, pretty significantly at a very fast pace. And then the recession happened and then COVID and, and, and all of that happened as well. And the U.S. government had this this two-headed beast of a problem in that all of a sudden, you know, generally speaking, taxes are going to go down, but spending went up. Because it's a recession, and that's what you do in a recession, apparently. You, you, you spend like there's no tomorrow. Massive stimulus bills, right? And and so in the first, or sorry, the second quarter, um, you know, in the first quarter of, of 2020, you know, we were on pace to to maybe be something like $400 billion uh, in, in the red in terms of the deficit for one quarter. You know, 300, 400, somewhere like that. Average out over the entire year. Well, I mean, then just single stimulus bills were multiples of that number right there. And now we're already at $27 trillion. And yet, there's many that say that it's not enough. And in fact, one of the biggest market movers over the past few weeks has been this talk of whether or not there's going to be stimulus before the election. Because after the election, there's a whole lot of question marks. Will Trump be dealing with a lame duck presidency? What will unrest, and it's one of the questions I have, we'll talk about this more later on in today's podcast, but what will unrest be like following the election? And how will that play into to stimulus or, or, or you know, action or lack of action by, by Congress and by the White House? You know, would we have to wait for a new Congress and a new president, you know, or at least a new Congress or at least a new president, one or the other? And then we're talking, you know, at some point in January, that's when we could be looking at more stimulus but, but come on, they have to get settled in. It might not be until February. It might not be until March. And for an economy that is still, from my opinion, basically in a recession relative to where it was a year ago, well, then, yeah, that's that's a problem. If if you are from the, the school of thought that the only way we can save ourselves from this recession is to spend our way out of it. But you have to keep in mind, you know, the, the, the Republicans and the Democrats, part of the reason that this current stimulus bill is is on hold is because they disagree on how much it should be for um 
the Republicans are in the ballpark of 1.5 or 1.6, and maybe they've raised it somewhat, but you know, 1.5, 1.6 trillion dollars. Again, for perspective, this is you know just another COVID slash recession stimulus bill, right? It's not going to be the first, but 1.5 trillion was what the deficit for 2020 was was going to be in the ballpark of. And here we are getting it from a single bill from the supposedly fiscally conservative party because the Democrats are looking at something like 2.2 trillion. And some have been looking at at uh, ideas or policies that would run the bill up even more from there. I'm talking something that looks a heck of a lot like universal basic income, you know, ongoing stimulus checks on a regular basis. Um, Certainly Democrats are the less fiscally conservative party. And so, you know, if they were to get the White House and Congress, then you could expect more from them um, in terms of spending, right? 2.2 trillion could be the norm, right? We could make it a quarterly $2.2 trillion bill that Democrats would push through. And, and this is by no means me defending the Republicans either, because again, 1.5 trillion is still massive, especially when you consider this isn't even the first stimulus bill, right? This isn't the first... Uh, you know, COVID relief bill, whatever you want to call it. The fiscal picture here in the United States is deteriorating, you know, to say the least. And and it has been obviously for, for a number of years, you know, going back to, um, you know, even pr- prior to the recession, as I said, 1.5, you know, one to one and a half trillion dollars a year, you know, adding to your debt as a, as a nation, that's not a healthy fiscal position. However, it has gotten increasingly dire. And, and of course, Democrats, Republicans, even, even the Federal Reserve doesn't seem all that concerned about this. You know, Jerome Powell earlier this week basically came out and said that, you know, Congress should, um, should err on the side of caution when it comes to, to spending, which, you know, from a fiscal position, you'd think, well, err on the side of caution. You don't want to overspend. No, what he meant was, well, it's better to overspend than to maybe not spend enough in terms of, you know, COVID relief. And I think part of that is is him looking for a bit of an out. I think he realizes that central banks have, I won't call them impotent at this point, but they've become less effective in terms of their policy. He, he realizes that if he were to have to do this all on his own, I mean, can you imagine you saw the Fed's policies back in earlier in 2020 in terms of their unprecedented quantitative easing, right? Dropping interest rates, all of that. And and I'll remind you that was at the same time as Congress also providing fiscal stimulus. Can you imagine had Congress not provided fiscal stimulus, the pressure that would be on the Fed to do even more monetary policy? I mean, they would have basically likely moved into the realm of what we'd call fiscal policy. I mean, we got stimulus checks and whatnot. I think the Fed would have been sending those stimulus checks rather than the Treasury. They would have been sending them to people, corporations, whatever, right? The Fed would have taken over that that role. And yet he did have Congress able to take some of that load off of the Fed. And I think that's where he's at once again. He realizes that the Fed is playing a dangerous game with monetary policy. Yeah, even he realizes this, even though he is a, well, you know, some would say would, would, would disagree that he's a relatively dovish Fed, uh, uh, Fed chairman. But, but I think he is fairly dovish if we look further back in history, just maybe a little more hawkish than, than our past two chairmen, 
um, chairman and chairwoman. But he realizes that to some extent the Fed's backed into a corner. He doesn't want to go negative with interest rates. He doesn't want to turn this QE program into a, a more expansive QE program um, to increase the balance sheet once again. And yet he does realize, I think like most people, like most Americans, that this recovery, if you want to even call it that, is stalling out. That the, you know, there's a term used in the financial world or an analogy that when the tide comes out, you see who really is, is you know, swimming. You see what people's position are financially when the tide comes out, when, um, you know, financial uh, um, volatility and financial problems are, are cropping up within an economy. And I think to, to steal an analogy and modify it somewhat, I think what we have here is we have this recession partially due to the COVID lockdowns and whatnot. And, and there's a massive amount of papering over of that problem, right? Bailouts and stimulus checks, etc. And now, you know, six, seven, eight months, whatever it is, after the initial lockdowns, some of those lockdowns are, are coming offline. Like there's still restrictions in place. And, and there is still behavior modification based on the pandemic that I think will impact things like restaurants, airlines, hotels, etc. for a long time. But a lot of things are getting relatively closer to normal. And yet you're not seeing what you'd expect in terms of recovery, in terms of jobs, in terms of, of um, economic you know, growth and whatnot. And I think it's, it's similar to that analogy that, well, the tide's coming out. It's like, what is your excuse now? Like, lockdowns are slowly ending, and what is your excuse? Of course, the excuse is going to be COVID, but this goes so far beyond COVID lockdowns. The amount of companies that have gone out of business in the last, you know, six, seven, eight months uh, far exceeds what you would expect for for these lockdowns. I'm not minimizing the, the damage of the lockdowns or anything like that, but it far exceeds what you'd expect in terms of damage. And then beyond that, um, you're also looking at uh, the amount of companies, usually larger ones that have access to large amounts of credit. The lar- amount of corporations that we're going to come to find in the coming years have essentially turned into what we call, you know, zombie corporations. You know, corporations that are barely able to just service their own debt, not pay off their debt, just service it, just make the interest payments, you know. Um, you know, and in that line of thinking, you know, bringing this back to the fiscal policy of the United States, you know, is our government a, a, a zombie <laughs> zombie state, right? When, when we look at our debt picture today. You know, the final thing I wanted to talk about today, though, um, on, on the topic of, of the election and of politics and of COVID and all of that, you know, there's, there's a headline out of Michigan yesterday, actually a pretty big headline, um, about a, a militia group, I guess that's what they're being termed as, and that's probably accurate. And, and you know me, I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea of a militia here in the United States. Um, a militia group had was in the process of planning for, uh, uh, well, essentially, it sounds like, I, mean, I don't know all the details, but overthrowing the Michigan government. This is in Michigan, um, first uh, kidnapping the governor, and then later, uh, and then later, the plan was to um, to to basically take over the Michigan capital, and, and I'd assume hopefully they'd be they were hoping that they could rally support around themselves um, after they had taken the capital grounds or or something along those lines, uh, and and of course it was foiled. That's why we were hearing about it, um, and of course some of this goes back to the COVID 
COVID uh, restrictions put in place by Whitmer. And again, I'm not a Michigan resident, um, so I don't know all the details, or I have not read up on all the details of of her lockdown orders back then. But I know that many felt they were unconstitutional. And I wouldn't probably necessarily disagree with that. You know, I'm not totally, and I know like some of my followers still think COVID's a hoax and whatever, and 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 okay, whatever, uh, that it doesn't exist. And and I, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle. I mean, I work with that high risk population. Most of the people I work with um, would, you know, fall in that high risk population as far as COVID goes. And so, you know, I, I see restrictions as, as certainly life-saving to some extent. But I also get the whole idea that, you know, governors can't just unilaterally make these decisions. You know, I get both sides of that. I'm certainly not taking sides on this topic of whether or not we should kidnap um, Governor Whitmer. That's not the point of what I'm talking about here. The point of why I brought this up is that this was a plot that was foiled. However, you know, I was listening to an interview yesterday uh, this was the the attorney general for Michigan. And one of her points was that this isn't a Michigan problem. This is a U.S. problem, that these militias are out and about all over the United States, which they are. And I think you have to ask yourself that, you know, this one was foiled. But how many other similar plots are there out there by either side, whether this is more of what you'd call a libertarian or far right militia group or on the left, Antifa and, and others, to, to essentially disrupt society. I mean, can you imagine if this plot had gone through? I was talking to my father-in-law about this the other night. They probably, um, you know, the Capitol would have been retaken eventually, probably, maybe, probably with some bloodshed. You know, I don't know what would have happened to the governor if she would have been found, if she would have been killed. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that the reaction from a lot of people in the population would be to clamp down on personal liberties which in my opinion would make things much worse, whether it's gun control or First Amendment you know, rights, um, increased surveillance of people, whatever. And, and you'd have a lot of people shouting for just that. But then you'd have other people that maybe didn't sympathize with you know, these militia groups, but do value their First Amendment, their Second Amendment, their Fourth Amendment rights, whatever, and, and feel that these restrictions are, 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 are too restrictive. And in turn would become more sympathetic to this, this, you know, these militias or whatever. I mean, we'd essentially be moving towards, uh, you know, some sort of a, of a, uh, of a civil war at that point. Right. And this is in the midst of some sort of a, a recession and a, uh, and a, an election year, um, already a lot of socioeconomic damage has been done. I mean, this is coming. I don't know what the plot's going to look like or if it's going to be a plot. And again, like I said, I don't know if it's going to be the left or the right. But these types of events I expect to become much more common. And and we're moving much closer to something. You know, actually, as the Attorney General for Michigan said, these people are looking to start what they call the boogaloo. <laughs> and that amazed me that I heard those words come out of her mouth. And yet, you know, I think that's what we're moving closer towards. Um, I'm certainly not rejoicing for that. Um, but I'm preparing. As always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast, and God bless.